Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's why we don't talk about our mothers. <laughs> At least not when things are being recorded. Fine. Such violence. I just wonder what the people listening think is going on. Oh no, I listened to like a couple classes before I came. And you still came. Yeah, that was probably hard to follow. Yeah, I could see that. No. I already had to compromise to allow this to be recorded audially. I'm not gonna think really? you know, yeah. Okay. No. Then I'll stop making drawings. Okay. I don't know. I'm leaving next week. Um, Wednesday? I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not going to be here Wednesday. God willing, my passport will arrive on time, and I will not need to spend all next week figuring out how to get a passport. It's, it is extremely frustrating. Yes. Wait, what? You're waiting for your passport? They printed it, and they mailed it, and um, voila! It's been a month. And, a month? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to say. <laughs> this is what happened when I tried to leave the US. And that's, this is when I listened to the recording about Baseline Trupa. I was driving around the passport office. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. 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 Because, you know, you have to think about something during davening, and God forbid you have to think about what you're saying. Um, so I was thinking, this probably is what it feels like, you know, that everybody's like, you should want Mashiach. And like, every day I'm like, did it come, did it come, did it come, did it come? Like, you're make more and more anxious. Like, that's what it really means to wait for something. So, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I probably should feel that way about Mashiach. And, um, I guess I have work to do, but I don't really feel that way. It's like, Mashiach comes like in three months from now, I'd be okay with that. No. But if my passport comes in three months from now, I don't think I'd be okay with that. So, yeah. the thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right, so we were talking about purgatory. Yes. <laughs> oh, great. So, so the, the, the idle chatter and frivolous things, right? These contaminate the spirit of the soul, and the way to um, get free of that grime, that filth, is to uh, shake the soul out. How does God shake it out? He throws it from one extreme to the other extreme, from the extreme of how our soul actually spent its time to how it could have. And yeah, that's kind of okay. But that, and that's assuming, of course, that this idle chatter was done in a permitted manner. What would be permitted? Woman. That you're a woman, or, or you're intellectually you are intellectually or incapable of learning. Well, I don't know if intellectually, education-wise, unable to learn. Okay. All right. But what if it is forbidden speech? Then well, then, then it's the three impure klipas, and it actually infects the soul, and the soul needs to have it removed. How do you remove Gehenna? Yes, the same way we went in. Now, since forbidden speech is usually done because we desire to speak those forbidden things, therefore, what kind of Gehenim would you get for forbidden speech? The fury of angels. The fury of angels, right? The fiery Gehenim. That's right. Okay, we're at the paragraph that begins, so too. So too, he was engaged, he was able to engage in, in the Torah, but occupies himself instead with frivolous things. This only applies to men, so... Don't worry. The hollow of a spring, sling cannot itself effectively scour and cleanse his soul. Isn't that a great word, scouring? Have you ever scoured anything? Yes. Would you like to be the thing that was scoured? No. No. Okay. 
But severe penalties are meted out for the neglect of the Torah in particular, apart from the general retribution of the neglect of a positive commandment through ind- indolence? How do you say that word? Indolence, I think. Namely, in the purgatory of snow, as is explained elsewhere. Yesterday we spoke about the purgatory of snow, right? Gehenna Shalshelag, right? And the analogy to treating frostbite. So, someone who's wasting their time instead of learning Torah, they are committing a sin through indolence, which I you know, guess is some kind of sense of neglect and indifference. And um, they go to the purgatory of snow, Gehenim Shalshelag. But in addition to that, there's a special punishment for neglecting Torah study. So, when I was younger, they described it as follows. Imagine Wait, what are we describing? the special Gehenim for neglecting Torah study. In the Hebrew, it would be. Now, what's the Gehenna called? It's called. Einshim Chamurim Shemanishim Torah. The severe punishments that they punish for the neglect of Torah study. So, so it's not part of the weather Gehenna. Yeah, it's a separate thing altogether. And this doesn't apply to women. Presumably not, because um, they can't violate the sin of neglecting Torah study because they have no mitzvah of Torah study. So there you go. Okay. So, I guess great to be you, right? <laughs> um, okay, so the way this was described to you when I was younger, so I will just repeat the propaganda onto you because that's how that works, um, is imagine that you really, really, really want to learn Torah. And you want to learn Torah because you know that Torah connects you to Hashem and unites you to Hashem in a way that you and Hashem become absolutely one. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And then, imagine the Torah is right beyond your reach. Yes, that was how it was described to me. So... Now remember we learned in chapter five, or we didn't learn chapter five. Remember we learned in chapter four about how the Shem in the mitzvah, Shem is the mitzvahs, right? Remember that chapter four? And I mentioned chapter five says that how it's not just that you're connecting to Hashem, but when a person studies Torah, they actually become totally unified with Hashem. So that means the ultimate connection to Hashem, when you finally appreciate that's what it is, and it's just beyond your grasp. There is nothing more frustrating than that. And um, that apparently somehow is the way that gets that all out. But that's only if you're neglecting the mitzvah of Torah study, and that doesn't apply to you, so we're going to move on. Okay. Likewise. Ready? He who occupies himself in the sciences of the nations of the world. Okay is included amongst those who waste their time in profane matters insofar as the sin of neglecting Torah is concerned, as explained the laws concerning Torah study of the Torah. So, what if he's not, what if you know, a man is not talking about sports and politics and the weather? What if he's studying calculus? But he could have been studying Gemara. Well, it's only for men. That's right, because it's only right, right now, right? There's more to the chapter. Right now, right, it's, we're saying that studying the, the sciences of the nations, as our translator put it, is um, equivalent to idle chatter in as much as the sin of Torah, neglecting Torah study is concerned. Why? Because what, when does a man have to be studying Torah? Whenever he is able to. What is the, what, what, when are the, now, does he still have to do things in order to live life? Sure, right? So that doesn't count. But like, if you've got a free half hour, you're like, you know what I would really find interesting? I want to understand how bicycles work. And so he like learns about the physics and the idea of conservation of angular momentum and blah, 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 blah. And he could have spent that half hour learning Chumash Rashi. So guess what happens? He's going to hell. Isn't that uplifting? No. The worst kind. The snow kind for neglecting a positive mitzvah and the extra special severe punishments for neglecting Torah study. And all he did was study some physics, right? Could he change that? What do you mean change that? Could he change his intention and mindset behind studying something else so he doesn't have to 
Do you mean like can a person study physics or math and then tell themselves they're doing it for some other reason and then somehow magically changes everything? Yeah, like what if like a boy's in college to get a job so that he can support his family? Yeah, like so he like has to study math. Not always is it wrong. Ah, so let's let's remember again. I did make a category called Yeshuva Shalalam, right? We're in prison. So let's so there are four we're gonna learn later on. We're going to learn later on that two more. But for right now, there are four reasons why a person might need to study something which is not Torah. Okay? Number one. And they don't look like that. Well, number one, that this non Jewish science is actually itself part of Torah. What would be an example where something is like actually part of Torah? Like, let's say I'm learning Gemara. And the Gemara is telling me about um, how to calculate the volume of a mikvah, right? And so I'm following along the Gemara. I have to be doing some math there, right? It's kind of built in, right? So sometimes learning Torah actually involves things like math or whatever, right? Okay. So is there anything wrong with that? No. No. Okay. Number two, sometimes there is a mitzvah to go study some secular wisdom. What would be an example of a mitzvah to study secular wisdom? There's no mitzvah to be a doctor. That's not, a, that's not a mitzvah to study secular wisdom. So the one example that I know of is that there is a mitzvah to calculate when the new moon is. So if you don't know how to calculate when the new moon is, you have to go learn some astronomy, right? Because that's the mitzvah. Okay. Uh, then there's a third possibility. Okay. So the second, first is where the actual secular knowledge is actually part of Torah itself. There's a second idea where sometimes the Torah actually commands you to go and study secular wisdom. Okay. By the way, do you need to go learn astronomy in order to fill the mitzvah of calculating when the new moon is? Not anymore. You know why? Because the Rambam, he's, he decided to like put that in his code of Jewish law. So now you just study it from there. But, but where did he get it from? Um. He studied astronomy. He's like, well, instead of like just telling you to go study astronomy, I'm just going to pull out the relevant parts of astronomy and put it in a book. We're going to get to that. But not right now. And number two, or sorry, number four, okay? Sometimes, well, that was, so, okay, number three. So number one was sometimes the, quote, secular studies are actually part of the Torah itself. Sometimes, rarely, the Torah actually commands you to go, like the Torah commands us to like, go shake loves, and the Torah commands us to go study some particular thing. More commonly is number three, which is sometimes you cannot do what the Torah tells you to do without having some non-Torah knowledge. What are some examples of things that you cannot do without knowing the Torah, without knowing things that are not Torah? Jewish? Yeah, what, like the Torah tells me to do mitzvahs, but I can't do the mitzvah unless I learn something which isn't Torah. If I want to give a baby a bris, I kind of have to know how to like, you know, deal with all the cutting and bleeding and stuff, right? Which is not actually Torah study, right? Okay. What if I want to kosher a kitchen? What if I want to do, what, if I kosher a kitchen, I'm going to need to know something about material sciences, right? Which materials can I kosher, which materials can't I kosher, right? Can you kosher a countertop? You sure? Depends what it's made of. Okay. So it's pretty simple. If your countertop is made of steel, can you kosher it? Yeah. Yes. If your countertop is made of ceramic, can you kosher it? No. No. If your countertop is made of stone, can you kosher it? Yes. Yes. If your countertop is made of glass, can you kosher it? Machlokos. Ashkenazim say no. Ashkenazim say no. And Sephardim say it doesn't need to be kosher. <laughs> Either it really can't or it doesn't need it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sephardim have this great thing that they hold that glass can never become not kosher. Like, I, I know families who are Sephardim and they only have, like, when it comes to, like, cups, glass cups, they only have one set. They only have one set because that Sephardim rule that glass can never become not kosher.
Pretty cool. Never right? become not Yeah. You can have meat in it? you can't drink the milk and meat, but you could have a cup. You could have a glass, and you could eat meat. You could drink milk in the glass, and you could wash out the glass and put chicken soup in the glass, and it's fine. Yeah. We don't hold that, right? What? We don't hold that, right? Are you Ashkenazi or Sephardi? So then we don't hold like that. But if you're Sephardi. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you in practice: Can you cash your countertop? Well, what's your countertop made of? I guarantee you it's probably, if it's a countertop in a residential, you know, housing unit of granite. some kind, it's probably not made of steel, right? Granite. It's granite? Are you sure it's granite? Stone. No, but like a lot of times it's granite or fake granite. Ah, uh, fake granite. Or it's granite with compounds. And now we run into a problem that if you don't know any material sciences, are you going to be able to figure out whether you can kosher such a thing? I, I know material sciences and I have no idea. Right, so, but the rabbis who have to make these determinations have to know some material sciences. Okay, it's granite, oh, it's fake granite. What is fake, is fake granite, how is fake granite made? Is that essentially like steel or is it like ceramics? Because halacha only gives you a few categories. The categories halacha gives you are, it's metal, what's it? There's metal, there's wood, there's ceramics, um, and there's glass, and there's stone. Five categories. But most people's countertops, especially if they're on the cheaper side, are not clearly any one of those. So then the person who's making the determination has to know like, how is this made and which category does it fit in. Um, what about doing, what about doing a cautious in a factory? So um, do you know that most food that you buy that is produced in a factory that is kosher, that factory also produces non-kosher food? You didn't know that? No, oh, it does. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so how do they make sure it's kosher? They have a rabbi watching the kosher stuff. Oh, yeah, they have, a wa- they have a rabbi just standing there the whole time watching the factory. <laughs> no, that's not realistic. No, we're told. No. no. So you need to study certain things, like, for instance, quality control and management skills in order to know how do you create a system with supervision which is both effective, pragmatic, and meets halachic standards. For instance, the OU, if there is a factory, so what they often do is they run kosher lines, okay? So, so like there'll be like a week where they're making kosher cookies. That factory makes cookies all the time, but a week of the cookies are kosher. They make all different kinds of cookies, but they run one week worth of kosher cookies, okay? So then, or two weeks, or a month's worth of kosher. Does that mean they have the mishkiach, they're watching the whole thing all the time? That's not always so realistic. So this is what I'm giving you is like a a, a simplified version, okay? So things like this. Factories get supplies shipped to them. I know this because a friend of mine, a cousin of mine works works for the OU. So um, so they get supplies, okay? Every every, Every supply is marked with a barcode. And the mashkiach tapes all of, the materi- all of the different products, all the different raw materials. And they put, and everything is barcoded, both the kosher ingredients and the non-kosher ingredients, right? And so then, the mishkiach can come back and see which containers were opened and which ones were not opened. Okay, but that means you need to understand, like, you need somebody who like, can design the system, right? There's all sorts of things, right? Um, you know, there's a thing about like paying your workers on time, which is fine if you've got like one worker that's just hanging out, you know, in a little small shop. What if you have a large company? How do you pay your workers on time? You need some accounting practices, right? Someone needs to know the accounting, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, right? As you start going. Like what? Paying your workers on time? Not really. Like- I know it's a, it's a, it's one of those things that's like what, I don't know. Yeah, it's a huge issue. I found that like these places are very strict and like There's a famous rule about Judaism, which is that even the most pious is not so pious when it comes to money. <laughs> it's a problem. Why would anyone tell you? Yeah. Is that a real saying? Yeah. Everyone's from except when it comes to gout. Really, it's a problem. What do you want me to tell you? It's, 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 it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. 100%. It's a huge problem. Um, you, yeah. 
I'm not gonna like like like. Do you want me to like come up and squeeze some sort of hetter to justify it? Maybe we could, but like that's not. It, no. Yeah, I know it's a huge problem. It's a huge, huge problem. 100. percent So why is school able to be open? What are you asking me? What? Like, like, what are you asking me? You're asking me that if that if the school came to me as a rav and I were to say, are and they ask me, do we have to pay the workers? I say yes. And does that mean that we have to like pay the workers? That means that we have to we take out loans and I mean, if you hire somebody. Let me put it to you more practically for a second, okay? Um, are you, a, if you have a higher, uh, God willing, you'll get married, you have little kids, you have babysitters, right? Do you have to pay your babysitter on time? I mean, yeah. So here's an interesting halacha, okay? Unless you set out initially that you have an arrangement that you don't pay the babysitter after every time, you have to pay the babysitter after they finish babysitting. Wait. Unless you tell her that you're... If you make an arrangement ahead of time, right, that you're babysitting for me regularly and every month we, we do a, a cheshbon, I'll pay you on a monthly basis based on how much you did, that you can set up an arrangement. But if you haven't set up an arrangement, so then we work on what's, this, what, what's considered the norm of that society. What's the norm of that society? First of all, the babysits. If you didn't say anything, what's the understanding expectation? You're going to pay them, right? Okay. If you don't have cash... You have a problem. You have to make sure you have cash. You have a halachic obligation, may not tell you to make sure you have cash. Ah, but this is a thing. There's an issue which is the halacha discusses. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, when I say there's an issue, I don't mean to say it's, it's, it's 100%, but you run into a very serious issue because the halacha recognizes a power differential between employers and employees. And especially when that power differential is, is great. So like if you have like you a know, family and a teenage girl, right? And the family says, we're going to pay you. And if you decide to forget about it, not intentionally, you forget about it, right? Like what's her recourse exactly? So you're already, even if you end up paying her later, the fact that now she has to worry, am I going to get my money? I'm not going to get my money. You're already, and she doesn't feel like she has a recourse to get her money. That already might be putting you in violation. Even if she says, it's okay, you can pay me later. In other words, if you want to be 100% above board about this, you have to make sure. But, but if she says, it's okay, you can pay me next time, people, she wouldn't it, say no. She what you're going to no. say now, that's exactly the thing. Is if you, when you ask her, say, I want like you to babysit, I'm not going to pay you at the end, I'll pay you in a month. And then she, that's different. But if after she's babysitting, you say, is it okay if I pay you next time? What's she going to tell you? No. She's not going to tell you no, right? No, it's just tomorrow, we're going to drop it off at your house. What? But the problem is, her no, does her no count? That's the issue. She, no, she, can't, she can't say no, right? So Allah recognizes this. And, and that, that's very soon after. Is that so the halacha, no, no, the halacha is, the halacha is it's based on what is the norm of that job and the way people are paid. For instance, in Israel, you're paid on a monthly basis, which means unless, if I work for somebody regularly, let's say, if I work for, let's say I work, let's say I'm an employee, which I am. And I do not, we do not make an arrangement about how often I get paid. They have to pay me every month. They can't say, oh, I'll pay you every two months. Right. Now in America. That's how it works in Israel. In, in, in America, well, how, how often are people paid? Every yeah, every two weeks. Right. So your employer says, I'll pay you at the end of the month. You can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. If that was set up the arrangement to begin with, that's fine. But the point you can't say, I was working under the expectation I was going to get paid at the end of two weeks. Right. You can't now say I'm not doing that. The, 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 the Torah speaks about night workers and day workers. If you hire somebody to watch your field at night, you have to pay them the next morning. If you hire somebody to pick your tomatoes during the day, you have to pay them that evening. That's the law. If you hire a babysitter, and this is in the Torah, if you hire a babysitter and you haven't specified, then you've got to pay her when she's done. That's really and if you, And interesting, I heard from a, from a Rav, I heard from a Rav, and he said, what if you don't have change? You have cash, you don't have change. I mean, you have to have cash, right? But, so he says like this. You don't, right? you give her the money, and then it's up to her to pay you back. What she's got to Right, you're not allowed to say, well, I, own, I, own, I, owe you, I owe you $6, but I only have a 20, so I'll wait. No, you give her the 20. That's, that's, that's like, if you want to avoid any luck complications, that's how you have to do it. But now it's a headache on her, and she has to give you that money. So, or you can make arrangements. You have, yeah, yeah, if you have someone who works regularly with you and you realize it's, it's, it's a hassle. Not a I'm not a rub. I'm not getting into every single thing. I'm just telling you this is an issue, it's right? Now, you, you see how complex it is? You see how complex it is with one person? Now, what if you run a whole school? You need accounts. You need someone who knows accounting, right? It's not going to work 
unless somebody has some sort of administrative skills. I'm thinking like my parents pay their workers to come to school, and like, what if they can't? I mean, they don't. They don't have it. It's an issue. Like, what? Someone's not there. That's fine. Fine. It's everything in halacha. What if? How? And everything. And every. And every life. Just as a matter of principle, right? But so, do you want like? So you want to do bris you're going to need to know some medicine. You want to do hashkach, you're going to need everything. There's so many mitzvahs you need to know, right? What about, what about helping another Jew? Here's an interesting one. There's a mitzvah to help another Jew. Just, you know, there's, there's a mitzvah of, there's a, there's a, there's a mitzvah of, you know, if, if somebody is struggling, right, financially or physically, right, there's a mitzvah to flush it. Begash may help another Jew, physically. Okay. What if that help is complicated? Well, maybe you don't know how to help them. And so, like, for instance, um, there's a mitzvah not to, not to stand by when your brother dies. It's a mitzvah. Okay. He's dying, and you just stand by and do nothing. Okay. So, you've ever heard of Hatzalah? Well, why does Hatzalah exist? So that people don't die because there's not ambulances that are right there and everything, right? Okay, but can you, but in order to actually do that, so the Hatzalah people are doing a mitzvah, but you can't do you can't be a Hatzalah member unless you're trained. You're trained. So you have to go study some stuff, right? So it turns out a lot of things are not don't fit into what we described here because a lot of things, although they're not Torah, and it's not even the Torah told you to do it, but realistically you can't do something the Torah told you to do without learning this. Fine, it's a mitzvah. So it's called there's there's, some, there's there's certain kinds of mitzvahs. It's called a mitzvah chiyuvis. A mitzvah is an obligation. A mitzvah chiyumis. A mitzvah that you're fulfilling, but it's not an obligation. Like this. Do I have an obligation to go become a tzala member? No. But if I'm a tzala member and I save people's lives, am I doing a mitzvah? Yeah. 100. percent And if I want to go do that mitzvah, I can't just like, well, I'm going to go save people's lives. Like, I don't know how to do CPR. I don't know how to. I don't. I don't know a bunch of stuff, right? Okay. What if you want to publish Torah works? Do you need to know how to type? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, there is, there is a level of knowing how to do things or knowing how the world works, right? Um, when a Rav is going to issue halachic rulings, what does a Rav need to know? That's not good enough. Rabbis that only know halacha should never make halachic rulings. That's right. If he's making halachas, I, 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 I was one time studying Dayanus, which is like the, the civil law, the monetary law stuff, in, in, and, and it was from an actual Dayan. And he said, like, in order to be an actual judge that deals with monetary cases, you need to understand how business works. It's very nice that you understand Gemara, but do you actually understand business? So, for instance, Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Arbach, when he wanted to make rulings on electricity, so he actually went to the to a library and he read read articles about electricity. He spoke to professors to understand what electricity is and how it works, right? All these rabbis that are making halachic rulings about fertility treatments. They actually have to speak to the doctors and the professors and things to understand what's going on, right? If you're making halachic rulings about what kinds of stocks and investments are luckily permitted or not because of issues of, of interest, it's not enough to know the laws of interest. You also need to know how these financial products work, which means you need to. You don't necessarily need to have a professional accreditation in business, but you do need to understand these things. You need to learn them, yeah. right? There's, there's a plethora of things that in practice, to do the halacha means I know things. There's a famous example, the, the Gemara says that Rav, the great, the great uh, sage of the Gemara, Rav, he spent several months with shepherds to learn the different kinds of uh, maladies that animals have to rule if they were um, fit for sacrifices or not. Because we make a distinction, not fit for sacrifice, we make a distinction about um, the firstborn animal. You're not allowed to, you have to redeem from the Kohen. But if, or actually you have to bring it as a sacrifice. But if it, it's a blemished, then you can redeem it. But it depends whether it's a permanent blemish or, or a temporary blemish. Well, it means you need to know a little bit about animals, actually quite a bit about animals. So you spend some time with the shepherds. Um, his counterpart was a great sage named Shmuel. He was considered to be the greatest expert in his generation on money matters. Do you know why? Do you know where he, what he spent most of his time doing? He sat in the market. Like, he, didn't, he sat in the market, and so he was very proficient. He understood what was going on in the marketplace very, very well. So it wasn't just that he had greater halach knowledge, he also understood 
business better. And so his rulings are considered more credible than his counterpart Shmuel because uh, counterpart Rab, because Rab didn't. Do, right? If you have a rabbi that issues halachic rulings, it's one of those things that people, you call a rabbi, he's like, am I allowed to do X? And sometimes I'm thinking like, I'll give you an example. Um, this is not practical halacha class, okay? Yoga, you heard of yoga? Yes. Is it permitted to, to do yoga? Yeah. What makes you so sure? No, 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 that is an actual religion. Yoga is an actual religion. Like, it really is a religion. What? What's there? Like, one second, one second, one second, one second. I'm not kidding. So the thing is this. Who can tell you whether you can do yoga or which yoga practices are permitted or forbidden? What would they need to know? They would need to know all the halachas of idolatry, and they would also need to know what? They would need to know about the religion of yoga. Yes, it's a real religion. It's a real religion. What? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Now, here's an interesting question. Is what's marketed in the West really the religion of yoga? Isn't it? Isn't it? But, but in order to rule that, you need to know what are the lachic, character, the lachic definitions. And yeah, it's quite complicated. And simply the fact that I learned the laws of idolatry is not good enough because laws of idolatry use case studies from Roman idolatry. But I need to know about... So, which is why it says in the Sanhedrin, all the members of the Sanhedrin need to know, they needed to be experts in all the world religions. So why can't you be a rub in one area? That's usually how most rabbanim are. Most times you ask a rub a question, it's either, it's either that he's, the question you're dealing with is a common question where the answer for those people, rabbis, it's like the kind of thing they hear all the time. Most know about kashas, most know Yeah, but you won't put all rabbanim for medical issues. Right. So your standard kosher kitchen questions are not a problem, but then what happens if something really new? Let's say they come up with a new, a new material, and you want to know, can we kosher this material or not? Then, then, then most rabbis will say, we've got to figure out which rabbis really understand kosher, which rabbis really understand material science, which rabbis really have the depth so of... So you be an official rabbi if you're well-versed in one topic? Yeah, because uh, most rabbis... It's like do- part of the covers most topics, no? That's what I'm saying is it's a matter of expertise. Most a, a lot most questions repeat themselves. Most right. things are common. Most things I've I have a friend of mine who's a rough. Not a rough community. He looks he, he has office hours. People like you, there's enough religious people around, you need rebuttal for all sorts of things, especially the laws of women and mikvah. It shows up all the time. Okay, so it's like so like I've asked him questions and he's like, this is this is you need someone bigger than me for this. Like most I've asked him questions, but most of the questions I ask him are pretty the kinds of questions that show up on a regular basis, you know. And like, you know, either Tash questions or questions in a kitchen and like, you know, fine. Like he's seen this question a hundred times before, yeah. right? But the rarer the question or the newer the question or the more, the more, the more it's at stake in the question, then the more the person's going to, you're going to probably have to find someone who's expertise. Very few rabbis are experts in everything. Right. But a lot of people have like their rub that they call for. And that rub usually in any of these <laughs> very difficult issues calls another rub. <laughs> Well, that's what value you trusting him. Okay. Um, you're from Montreal. Okay. So in Montreal, just use a name. In Montreal, there's a rabbi. In Montreal, there's a rabbi. There's lots of rabbis in Montreal. One of the rabbis in Montreal's name is Rabbi Bell. Okay. So I know that my father has asked questions, and he's been told he should call Rabbi Bell. Rabbi Bell gets called from all over, I would probably argue all over the world, but I know at least all over the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if he gets called about every single issue, but he's very, very expert. Rabbi Schusterman gets called about a lot of things. So, yeah, there's people that, like, they're, they're, yeah, they're experts. Okay. Um, so, there's so many areas. Now, okay. What about one of the Torah's obligations is that there's a Torah obligation on a man to support his wife? Oh, yeah, I was doing that. That is a Torah obligation. Did you know that? But it's only clothing, food. Right. Those are the only financial. Right. Then the rabbis added a few more obligations shelter, medical bills, redeeming her if she's kidnapped, but only the first time. Only the first time. If she's kidnapped twice, that's it. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to pay a ransom at that point. But does that mean that men should have be paying like insurance? Well, at that point, it's her fault. Come on. No, it's not. 
One sec, one sec, wait, one sec, one sec, one sec, one sec, one sec. So I will explain this to you, okay? But we have to take a step back. I want to, before I explain this to you, I want everyone to understand that there is a very big difference between having, between the custom and the halacha. Okay, what is the Jewish custom when it comes to the financial obligations between husbands and wives? Does anyone know? So the, finan- the custom is that they will jointly deal with their financial stuff together. That's, that's actually written, it's not written in the Ksuba, it's written in the Tanoim. And the, the, the contract that the Jewish people write that they're agreeing to get married, in that one of the things it says, they will have full control over their finances in equal measure. Now, there's some debate as to what exactly that means, but it certainly is a spirit. That is, when Judaism is a married couple, they should have a, a sense that they're equally controlling the finances. Now, it could be one controls all the finances because the other one's like, I trust you and you do whatever you want, right? But, okay, now. That's fine, right? What? That's, That's fine, right? But the idea is that the, 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 the idea is that, that the, the idea that money becomes you owe me, I'm entitled. Who's in tr-. however, that is on the level of custom, on the level of law. In other words, let's say the couple takes it to base it. What can the ba- what are the what are the actual financial? How does that work? That's different. But I mean, you have to realize you realize that if you're coming to a rabbi to figure out who has control over what money and what they're allowed to do without the other one's consent, there's already something wrong in the whole relationship, right? Okay. Okay. So what are the husband's oblig- financial obligations and rights, and vice versa, the wife's obligations and rights? So it's like this: the Torah mandates that the husband is obligated to make sure his wife has food and clothing. The, that what? It doesn't matter if it says it or not. It's, it's, an, it's an obligation either way. Okay. Then, so that means like this: if a man is not providing his wife food, she can go to base and end, sue him for food, right? For 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 support. Okay. If he doesn't have right, if he says that he can't afford it. So the base then gives him a certain amount of time to afford it. And if not, then he's basically going to say require him to divorce her because if you can't meet your obligations, then she's entitled to a divorce because that's his obligation towards her. Okay? But he has to get the divorce. Yes, that's a separate issue. I don't want to get too sidetracked. Okay? Then there's, then, but, the, but then the rabbis added a bunch of other stuff. The rabbis expanded upon the husband's obligations. So he has to bury his wife, pay medical bills, provide shelter. Um, he has to provide um, um, utensils, like kitchenware and things like that, household items. The husband also has to redeem her if she's taken captive. Um, once, if I remember correctly, yes. Um, now, okay, Th- that is something the rabbis imposed upon the husband, okay? And what the rabbis did in exchange for that is that whatever the wife earns during the marriage legally belongs to the husband. Now, at the outset of the marriage, this, this, is, this, this is considered the standard arrangement. At the outset of the marriage, um, a, a woman can theoretically opt out of the husband's obligations and then keep whatever she makes herself. Now, as a woman technically has the right to say, don't support me, but, and you're not entitled to my earnings. But as long as the husband has the obligation to support her during... You have to have joints. No, this is the, the, no that's, the, that's custom. The law is, if the husband is obligated to support his wife... She could say, I don't want you to support me, and have separate current earnings. And, 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 right, right. But as long as he's allegedly obligated to support her, any money she earns legally belongs to him. Okay, that's how that arrangement is. That's how that arrangement is made. Um, there was a point that I wanted to when you, you mentioned this. How do we get off of this? There was a. You said besides Ah, right. So the man has an obligation to support his wife, right? Okay. So what if he has to learn something in order to meet his obligation? Oh, like. <sighs> What? Like that, get a degree? Uh, I, I, I want to specifically avoid the issue of getting degrees. That's accreditation. I want to talk about knowledge. Okay. okay. 
Like for instance, he wants like he's gonna plow a field. Well, doesn't he have to kind of learn how to be a farmer? Yeah. And doesn't that require like some knowledge of seasons and techniques and things like that? Okay, so he's allowed to learn that kind of stuff. Is that considered is that considered studying non Jewish sciences and neglecting Torah study? No. Okay. What well, not? Okay, but here's the thing, and this is what's very important. How much does a man have to support his wife? How much money is he actually required? How much food? How much clothes? How much shelter? No. But the person's accustomed to, right? So the rule is like this. Whatever the socioeconomic status of the wife was prior to marriage or the husband, whichever of the two is higher. That's very high for some people. What if someone's marrying somebody wealthy? Then you should think, man should think twice about marrying someone very wealthy, unless he can get her to agree that she's not going to live up to that. Like this happened to Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva married a woman who was very wealthy, right? Right. But he wasn't obligated to support her on that level of wealth. Why? Because she's in a Because I can't and provide you. Yeah, yeah, because it's and her. How do you do that? Well, it has to be understood at the beginning of the marriage. Like if somebody comes from a very wealthy family and the guy's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to give you what you're up to, and she's like, I'm okay with that, then that's fine. But if she's not, then marrying, right, the, the, all the, and when financial matters, if you make an explicit agreement, that always is good. The question is if you don't have an explicit agreement. Okay, but here's the thing like, how much money do you have to earn? What? Well, I mean, this really depends. So let's say the vast majority of human history, how much money do you have to earn in order to fulfill the conditions of the ksuba? The average couple? Yeah. There's, is there a book here called Aiding Talmud Study? I should have printed this out, but I didn't think to do so. What? There's a small little white book about this big. Oh, what? Called Aiding Talmud Study. It's going to be there. Okay, so I'm gonna do this. This is I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go off of like, you know, um, back in the day, okay, in the times of the Talmud, yeah. How 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 much work did you have to do if you were working a basically a, 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 a you know a regular low skilled job? How much did you have to do in order to have enough money to pay for rent? One day's work, two days worth of work, three days worth of work. A month, like how much of your, how much do you have to work in order to pay for, pay for rent? So it, it, it was, it took, um, it was a few days worth of work would make you enough money to pay rent for a month. And what kind of work are we talking about? Plowing, schlepping, picking things, right? Okay. Um, how many how much clothes were you supposed to how many clothes you get a new set of clothes once a year a new set of clothes once a year a dress yeah a dress a shirt a tunic whatever whatever the clothes are in other words in other words the thing to understand is that that for the vast majority of human existence the idea of meeting those obligations didn't require that much learning of stuff right like how much farming do you have to know how much, like, you don't have to learn that much, right? Um, in order to meet those basic obligations. And even nowadays, right? Why can't you get a little bit extra? Wait, wait, we didn't get to that. Because right now we're saying that the thing is in order to do the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the mitzvah, okay, right? Okay, so now it's even nowadays, right? Here's an interesting thing, right? Um, what would you say, how much money does a person need to make in order to support a middle class lifestyle in the United States? Annual income. How much? Assuming their spouse is not. Assuming their spouse is not working. And let's assuming agree. you have how many kids? Let's assume you have six kids. Let's say. Well, two hundred thousand. You could do less than two hundred thousand because most Orthodox Jews live middle class. Like, so make less than two hundred thousand, so it can and be middle done. Middle class, not upper middle. Class. Not upper middle class. There's no obligation for upper middle class. Hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay. What year? Let's say yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, probably you could do it. You could, yeah, hundred thousand. Okay. Now, if the the spouse is also working, then it's less, right? But okay. Um, what kind of professions can make you a hundred thousand dollars a year? What? No. Teachers only. Teacher sixty-seven. Computer science, software engineer out of college, get hundred thousand. Yeah, you could do that. What else? Doctors. Doctors. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah, what else? 
What else? Okay, so let's put real well, it depends on the community. I mean, I, else depends. If you're a teaching rabbi, then you get paid as a teacher. It's a different kind of thing. If you're a community, if you're, if you're the rabbi of a very wealthy community, you get a lot of money. What? Shluchim are different. Shluchim is not... No, no, no. It's not true. Shluchim, shluchim are not community rabbis. They might have built a community. A community rabbi is actually somebody hired by the community and is paid a salary and there's a contract. That the, the community. The board. The board has to raise money from the community members. And one of the price, one of the costs of the shul is property, tax, electricity, and paying the rabbi. That's a, a, yeah. That's different than shulchan. Shulchan are not like that at all. No one hired you. You stuck yourself in. That's right. You stuck yourself in there. You're like, I'm doing a service. Give me money. It's a whole different thing. No. There was a there was a rabbi that uh, that actually he, he moved from 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 Minnesota because um, he got a better I mean he was there rabbi in Minnesota for a long time and he got a he got a, was hired by a much bigger prominent wealthier community in New York so he moved there became the rabbi there and um, he had a contract because community hires out of their contract one of the elements of his contract he's not allowed to, he's not allowed to eat in restaurants because the rabbi is supposed to be a dignified figure and they don't want the idea that people just see the rabbi like fressing on like sushi in like one of his restaurants. It's like, it's part of his contract. He has to have a certain persona. That's, yeah. that's hard for him, I feel bad. Well, I mean, it has basis in halacha, actually. Like yeah, there's a basis in halacha. What? I don't know which Hasidic people you've been looking at. Depends which ones. Have you ever, have you ever been? What? There are. You just need to know where to go. There are. You just need to know where to go. Yeah. There's what? There's there's a lot of flashy restaurants with sit-ins. Yeah. Just need to know where to go. I don't know if you would be so polite. Whatever. It's like a. They're not so fancy. Whatever. But anyway. In B'nai Brak has, has a lot more yeah, than Shrine. The Eid Haredes this has a thing that they don't really like. In B'nai Brak they have in Borough Park there is 100%. Anyway. Um, so the... the I'm losing my train of thought today. Um, what rabbis get paid with? How do we get on? I'm losing my train of thought today. It's really bad. Ah, okay, right. So, all right. So, okay. So, here's there's some professions that none of you mentioned, okay? I would like to list these professions plumbers, electricians, okay, electricians, owning an auto parts shop. These are things that you actually make quite a lot of money. Now, yeah, like if you want, if you want, like if you want to live an upper class lifestyle, I'm sorry, not upper class, if you want to live like a a middle class lifestyle, an upper middle class, middle class lifestyle, you just need to find one of these jobs, like a plumber, electrician, car tractor. What about construction workers? They make a lot of money. How about, how about, how about garbage collectors? They make a lot of money on almost all the so how come, guys, how come, how come none of these jobs you mentioned? You mentioned all the jobs that you are called white collar jobs, jobs that you need diplomas for. Why did you mention those jobs? Because pushing paper clearly does a better service to society than clearing the trash. I mean, a lot of white-collar jobs are just in. Ah, because they're more dignified. But here, notice, notice this is very important, more dignified. That's correct. That's the reason is because it's more dignified. But the, what, what I said was that you're, if studying secular sciences is not considered wasting time from Torah study when it's necessary in order to do a mitzvah, right? Yeah. But if I could support my family, if I could support my family going to two years technical school and then be a plumber, 
and I would support my family equally, if not possibly more, than if I went to four years and became, got an undergraduate, and then I had to go for another two years to become a social worker. Then, in terms of this idea that I'm allowed to study things in order to make a living, those, all those extra four years of studying and on my undergrad and my two years for the graduate for the social work is not actually for supporting my family. It's because it's more dignified. But that wasn't no, what that's that's But I don't need to make a ton more money, do I? I only need to. And I could do that by I could do that by being an electrician. But that wasn't one sec. Where does it say? Where does it say? Where does it say that being? It says he who occupies himself in science and nation of the world is including those who waste their time. What? The fact that I want to do it. Yeah, if if you if you really see that like that that like studying math is really fundamentally a waste of time unless it helps you do a mitzvah and I can do that same mitzvah with less study then less study of math and more time for Torah and mitzvahs then then that's yeah. Okay, so what? Yeah. So, I don't get it. So why do you talk about it? I don't know. And that's not my job to convince you to go to college. That's true. Right now we're just talking about the men. Yeah, right as I meant. You have no, you're not prohibited from wasting your time. Yeah, we're good. I mean, it's a waste of time, but you're not prohibited from doing so. Exactly, it's a waste of time. I could be doing something else. No, you're not wasting time because you're going to make more money, so your husband's going to go there. But you have no, you have no obligation to support your husband. Exactly. No, but your husband has the obligation to learn. So if you can help him have more time to learn Torah during the day. Okay, really? If that's why you're doing it, then maybe it's not wasting time. I don't think that's why most people go to college, if I'm being honest. Just a tad of it. Okay, so let us summarize. Has we learned that... Okay, so number one, four men. Sorry, actually number one. The the, 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 the Altar has equated learning secular sciences as inherently a waste of time. Right? And therefore, if a man neglects Torah study in order to do those things, he is committing the sin of neglecting Torah study. And now, does that mean he can never learn such things? No. No, because it could be that those things fit under the category that he actually, some other category that he needs to do, such as they're part of Torah, the Torah commanded him to go learn them, or more realistically, he can't do one of his other Torah obligations without knowing this kind of secular stuff. But if that's the case, then how much of the secular stuff does he need to know? The minimum. The minimum to do the mitzvah. Any more than that is just... It's just a waste of time. And he's, yeah. Now, for women, it's still a waste of time, but it's like the idle chatter in a permitted way, right? So, so this is the difference. When a man decides that he wants to study economics, right? He's going to go to Gehenna of Shelig for neglecting Torah study and the special punishments for neglecting Torah study. But if a woman decides to study economics, then she just gets the slingshot. So that's what comes out from what we've learned. Not everyone, you're anyways getting, you're anyways getting ahead Yeah, but it's not like, you know, it's, it, it's, it, 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 it's not like you get one little bit and that's it. It's, it's cumulative. And you can't argue that it makes you appreciate godliness because it doesn't. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm going to save that for a subsequent class. I'm teaching you what's here. Now, there is one other reason why you're allowed to study secular wisdom that doesn't run afoul of this whole thing, which is if it prevents you from sin. For instance, are you allowed to think thoughts of Torah in the bathroom? No, that is a sin. Really? It is. The thoughts of Torah, I don't like, right, right. What? Why yeah, because. No, so there's because some. I mean, very very simply, certain things are are oral obligations. Certain things are mental obligations. You're not allowed to study Torah in a place that is unclean, and that includes thinking Torah. Right. So, what should one do when one's in the bathroom? So, right. So, for instance, Shmuel, 
Remember I mentioned Shmuel used to hang out in the marketplaces? Yeah. When he was in the bathroom, yeah. he studied astronomy. He became quite the astronomer, by the way. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I mean, but there's, well, there's, sure, you can sing a song that has Hebrew words, like, Ani Oheb Glida. You can sing a song like that. If it has psukim in it, you can't sing it. It's really like, it's really trash but, the, but then you can't, but the Israeli trash music you can't listen to anyway. It's true, but if you're in it, okay. <laughs> so it's like, I had to come up with, like, uh, like what, kind of, what kind of song could you sing which is both in Hebrew and doesn't have psukim and is not trashy? There's a very small selection of those songs. What? No, it's a bear. To listen to the Israeli trash music? There's no trash music in the bear. Where does it say What? Yeah. I thought we learned in high school that non-Jewish music and, and movies are a sensitivity and not a mayor. Well, yeah. You're not allowed to listen, you're not allowed to watch, sorry, you're not allowed to watch a movie that has romance or violence besides for that. Right, not romance. <laughs> <laughs> so find me the movie without the romance in it. There's so many. And nothing to do with music. Right, so those, one second, one second, so, the, one second, so those ones, one second, so those movies, is exactly right, it's a sensitivity issue. And some music that doesn't have Well, to my recollection, the statistics are over 90% of music that is made in the past few decades is romantic in nature. Wait, what's the issue of the music is romantic? Like, oh, sir. What else do I do? What? It's a biblical prohibition, yeah. No, I mean, if you want, I can. I, I, look, there's some. There's, it's really an music? No, not Jewish music is fine. You want to give you a list of things that are permitted that are not Jewish? You can listen to Beethoven, you can listen to Mozart, you can listen, you can listen to, um, um, what? Can you listen to EDM music? Yeah, EDM music. Like techno? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really? Yeah, there's nothing prohibited about that. Honestly, it's better than trying to music, so. Yeah. One second. Really, Tanavera? And you tell us music that we learned. We learned. We learned. We learned. We learned. We learned. Let me explain to you. There's a prohibition in the Torah. It's right there in black and white. Yeah, that one is not allowed to um, do anything that relates to sexual things. It's prohibited. It's in the Shema. Okay? That and that and that encompasses a lot of things. Okay? It says in Shulchan Aruch. And the examples used in Shulchan Aruch is, is literature, because that was what was around then, right? They didn't have music. But it says very clearly in Shulchan Aruch, it doesn't matter if it's in Hebrew, it doesn't matter what the language is, romantic literature, reading it is prohibited, and people who publish it are committing a grave sin because they're causing others to sin. So what is that, like with neighbors? Like non-Jewish books? No, it's not about non-Jewish. It's not about non-Jewish. It's about... It's romance. It's not. There are plenty of things that are. There are plenty of things, right? Now you can then get into a debate how much romance is actually prohibited. Like what? what fine. I'm not, but, but like in the past 20, 30 years, ninety percent of the music that is produced in the non-Jewish world is explicitly of the romantic, if not overly beyond. And therefore, I'm not strict. I'm telling you what it says. Now, if you're talking about music without words, if you're talking about music without words. If you're talking about music without words, then, then I don't know, what's the prohibition there? Um, I have a question relating to the John Summer Zombie. Yes. Which is what I wanted to get to, but yeah. So basically, like, men, so doctors, nurses, and like, I guess psychologists, and I don't know what other doctors fall in that category. Like, they're helping people. Oh, very good. They're mentally and physically Very good. If I say, I, if, if they're helping people. Let's say I say, you know what? I really want to help somebody. It's not about making money. I want to help people. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, and I can't help you unless I know what I'm doing. So that goes back. That would be perfectly fine, right? To do what? To, in other words, if you're studying some a secular wisdom, oh. which directly enables you to help people. A psychologist. Well, that depends. Are you studying clinical yeah. psychology? Then fine. I don't, I don't know, you know, you know there's different kinds of psychology. Yes. Yeah. If you're, if, you're, so if you're studying clinical psychology because you really want to help people, then that doesn't run afoul of anything we've learned and here. regular psych positive psychology? You know what clinical psychology is? Clinical psychology is that what you're, you're treating mm -hmm. psychology in order to actually treat and help people. Yeah. What's, the other, what's the other kind of psychology? 
just understanding the common research. research. That's much harder to. And you're not helping people by doing that. Most most well, psych, most most indirect. psychological research is not and is is, is is most academic psychological research it's is not. So that's that's generally speaking, like people that want to help people. Right. So let's just say your mentality is that you want to study psychology because you truly believe in helping others and like just the like mental state. That's okay. It doesn't. It does, yeah. Well, yeah. By the way, I, you've noticed I haven't spoken anything about college. I'm talking about the studies, right? Yeah. College is a totally separate issue. I don't want to talk about college. Yeah, please don't talk right. about it. Depends. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, like this is the issue of, like, even if you could, because college, because, like, let's say I lived in a society where I didn't need accreditation, right? Okay. Because most of you can get in college, you get without a college. Yeah. Right? Okay. So can I spend my time studying psychology in a way that, so that I can learn skills in order to help people? And the answer is sure. That's fine. But if I so this question is, am I doing it? Am I doing it because I want to be able to help people? So that's fine. Am I doing it because I want to make money? Well, then the question is, does the money really justify the extra time and effort, the extra study? Because I could, if it's just by making money, I could be a plumber, work less hours, study less. But if what's really important is connecting to Hashem. I don't, okay, so, the, the, so then in the scheme of relationship with Hashem, I'm wasting my time by being a psychologist because I want to make money that way as opposed to being a plumber. Anyway, if you want, if you, by the way, if you, want, if, you want, if you want to be married to somebody who has a stable job and you don't have to worry so much about your finances, you might want to consider marrying a plumber. We're all considering our marriage. Do you want to consider marrying a plumber? Not, yeah. Plumbers make pretty good money and they never seem to go out of the. What's the garbage collector? Can I have some painters too? Painters? Electricians. And electricians. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, yeah. A person, if a. Because think about the underlying principle. The underlying principle is, right? The underlying principle is that I could have been studying Torah, right? No. Okay. But if I see that there's like a genuine need in, in the community for people to help people, right? And well, I need to know how to do that, right? So I see that there, there are people that need, they need help dealing with traumas. And so I need, so I need to help them. And, like, and I feel that that's important. And I feel like I could do that. And so I want to go learn how to do that. So am I wasting my time? Am I? And if I'm a man, am I neglecting Torah study by doing that? No, I'm not neglecting Torah study by doing that. On the other hand, right, if I say, you know, I find psychology really interesting, so I want to be a psychologist. Well, I mean, in terms of making money, I could go become a plumber, that takes less time. And in terms of helping people, I'm not really doing it in order to help people, I'm not really helping people, I'm doing it for my own interest. And if that's the case, then I'm wasting my time because I could use that, that mental energy to be doing what? Studying Torah. Yeah. So there's, and it's the same thing with a woman. If you take out the Torah study thing, if a woman is studying psychology in order to, in order to like actually do something that Torah value, thinks is important, like helping people, so that's not wasting her time, right? But if she's doing it just because she finds it interesting, she is wasting her time. So is it better that nowadays there's colleges that I'm not are... going to talk about colleges. <laughs> I will not talk about colleges. <laughs> Sorry. No, because there is schools now. I'm not talking about colleges. <laughs> Co I'm talking about I'm talking about the study. But you can't get a job unless you get the, the I'm talking about study. I'm talking about the idea of the study, not anything else. I'm not talking about accreditation, I'm not talking about colleges, I'm not talking any about that stuff. Good? Okay. One final thing. Who has an obligation to um, support themselves or support others? Who has such an obligation? There's a class of people who have no obligation to support either themselves no. or others. They have no obligation to support themselves oh. or others. Children. Children. Therefore, they should not be studying. Therefore, by definition, any kind of studying of these other things is, is essentially wasting time that should really be. Okay. Studying Torah. Is there an argument that it helps them build skills? 
no, no. You build skills by yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's that, that's a really ridiculous argument because if Torah studies take Wait, it seriously, the other category. Like if the kids learning Gemara and he needs math. Fine, right? Yeah, I mean, if he needs it for that or something else, right? That's why some Jewish schools don't teach English subjects. Yeah. So, and why do some do? Well, I, remember, we're learning Chassidus. So from the perspective of Chassidus, the only reason to do so is because you're going to maximize the amount of Torah study. Um, and that either runs in for one of two reasons. Either one, more people will send their kids to the Jewish school because there's secular studies there than if there would have been. And so you're sacrificing on, for a minority of individuals having a purer education so you get a higher quantity of people coming in the school. Um, the other argument is that um, you have to balance how much you want to fight government regulation. Like, if there's right. no right. voice, that's what the main thing is Very minimal. Very minimal. But there's still the issue of wasting time. Wait, what about this issue of preventing sin? If you're learning ethics. No, no. Preventing sin means that is a very preventing sin is a very limited thing. Preventing sin would be like the actual like right like a person is a, a person is in the bathroom, and they don't want to study Torah, and their mind is going to have to think about something, so they might as well study astronomy or physics. By the way, I want to point this out. Well, none of what we're talking about is where this stuff is like heretical or forbidden or inappropriate. We're just talking about just that it's, it's not Torah. single woman be doing with their time then? In the ideal? Yeah. There shouldn't be such thing. <laughs> There's no such thing as single women. As what? As single women. The Torah does not believe in single adults. In the ideal. So when a child, a yes, the Torah is very against single adults. What's the definition of children in the Torah? Children is children is children is. Can I answer the question? Children is children is while a person is still under the care of their parents because they're not considered to have reached a level where they're able to take care of themselves. And once you've reached that level in terms of knowledge and wisdom and maturity, then you should get married. There shouldn't be a gap in between those things. The Torah does not believe in single adults. Even though, wow. So you really trust your parents and your husband or what? You're probably not mature enough to figure out. I mean, it depends. Like, you know, I mean, uh, there's different... Uh, I mean, in, in some communities, it really is that way. In some communities, it's less that way because they get married a little bit later, whatever. I'm saying like that. Yeah. But the idea... No, the... the, 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 the um, yeah, the Torah, the Torah does... It is forbidden to be single. People don't know that. Do you think that... Uh, Torah law. Religious schools should be better teaching Torah? Yes. What? Sure. But then there might not be such an issue in secular studies as well. Probably. <laughs> they're a bit better at teaching Torah in like a whole like study. Right. Right. If you're mostly sort of thinking. But if you're accidentally thinking. Then you're not sitting. No, then you're, it's not. Right. I mean, this is... 